We have made tangible steps in the college sports world towards professionalizing things, players unionizing. What does that actually mean for you, the fan? You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your daily source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on Planet Earth. No offense there, Isaac, who hosts Locked I was just on about College to Basketball. Push back on that, honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but whether you're looking for realignment, coaching, carousel, NIL, the portal, it's all covered right here on Locked On College Football. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. Isaac Shade is with me today. He's the host of Locked On Tar Heels and Locked On College Basketball. I'm a huge college basketball fan, Isaac, but it's just not quite college football. You know, that's a different discussion here. I want to have the one that is at the top of the minds of a lot of college football fans out there, which is the idea of players forming unions, being recognized as employees. What do you think that really means as fans watch this sport undergo radical change? Well, um, it it is all part of the just shifting landscape that we're in, Spencer. Honestly, like this has for me this has always been the end that we were going to get to. The two questions I've always had are how long is it going to take to this point and who would be the first school or state to get there? And it turns out the answers are sooner than I thought and the nerds in the Ivy League. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have Dartmouth men's basketball on Not your bingo card? Close. But you know what? It makes a ton of sense, right? Like they were the like it's the thinking kids that are going to be like, hey, you know what? let's get collective bargaining going here right and so it, it does make sense though spencer because it's like if if we were going to start paying these young men and women you just follow the natural progression of thought of logical thought and it's like well of course we're going to get to the point where we have to answer okay are they now employees of these schools are is it going to be something bigger where they're employees of the ncaa or employees of a conference or what does that look like and if so does that mean I can fire you if you suck at your sport? Like there's just so many ramifications for this, Spencer. Yeah, I talked about that on a recent episode of the show. And one thing that I find important to remember for all of you college football fans or just sports fans in general out there listening to or watching this show is this is this is has the potential, right? It's a narrow ruling that right now only applies to Dartmouth, but certainly sets a legal precedent for the okay. courts and other universities to bring cases or class action lawsuits or what have you and say, hey, this is the precedent here, meaning that we have to apply this over here at our school as well. What's important to remember, because it's easy to get lost in the weeds on all this sto- on all this stuff, college sports is too valuable and too ingrained in our society to go away. It's right. too valuable to just change in a way in which you no longer have kids who are 18 to 22 years old putting on the jersey of your favorite school and playing sports and all this sort of stuff. The way that it works behind the scenes may be different, but I don't think no matter what happens, even if, if players are unionizing, if they're treated as employees and it has all sorts of ramifications and there are a million questions that you know the SEC and the Big Ten might be trying to answer here, you're still going to be able to 
in a given sports season. Turn on the television. Maybe it'll be a streaming service with that new ESPN, Fox, Warner Brothers merger and what they're trying to do in the sports space there. That may change as well. But when you turn it on, the sport is still going to be there. And if you put aside the offseason noise, it's still going to be, hey, I'm a graduate of X school and I love rooting for them. Yeah, 100%. And you know what? Maybe maybe this is just the moment where we all become Dartmouth fans, Spencer, as part of this whole thing. It's like, I love this. Like, if they, because this is going to have to go to a vote and they're going to have to vote to if they want to actually unionize. If they do, I don't know if you've read up on this. There's actually a longtime exclusive union at Dartmouth that's been in place since 1966. It's SEIU Local 560. And the president right now, get this is a master painter at Dartmouth named Christopher J. Peck. So if if these basketball players get to unionize, they're just going to be part of Dartmouth's union with like all these other rando Dartmouth employees, and they're all going to be answering to a dude that's painting buildings. I love it. It's awesome. But, but I mean... That's, that, 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 is, that is one of the most electric stories we have ever discussed here, here on this show. And going back to a point that, that you made earlier... Nerds run the world. I mean, of course, of course, the nerds at Dartmouth. No disrespect, I oh, no. use that term oh, with absolute sorry. endearment to Dartmouth. Yes, but yes. I, I think that when this structure gets more widespread, and it feels inevitable that that's going to be the case. You've got USC in court right now, basically getting punked, trying to make the case that no, there's still student athletes, not employees, and. I don't think that's going to go very well for them or anybody else that tries to hold that. And and that amateurism model has been disintegrating for the last couple of years and is really starting to take some some major hits. But I also still expect, while the sports are not going uh, to go anywhere, I I can't promise anything for those who are fans of non-revenue sports. I... That, that that could certainly get that could certainly certainly get tricky though not guaranteed because a lot of universities have to assess what their priorities are and what they feel is best for everybody but I think that for for the players to be unionizing I still think they're going to be students at the school going to class graduating and, and I think I would hope there is enough logic in the room for everyone to realize hey we need to come up with a model everyone agrees on in which when you graduate or you're 22 years old or you're 23 and you've graduated, you're done with college sports now because we can't go full professional here or you're going to have 27-year-olds who say, oh, you know what, I'll play. And you got a 27-year-old against an 18-year-old. And then it's like, well, okay, what are we doing here? Well, and, and that's part of the difference, Spencer, because like you think about the other union employees at these schools, there there is no like – NCAA eligibility issues associated with that. It's just you work at this school as long as your contract or you get renewed or whatever it is. And so there's going to have to be new language, different language in these union bylaws and things like that. Because, you know, like I think about when I was in college, I worked a campus job. I I was working on the grounds crew, like weed eating and raking leaves and stuff. And would I have been part like, do I just apply for a basketball campus job? Like there's just all this weird stuff. It's got to be figured out. And you, you talked about the the removal of amateurism. I've been kind of thinking there have been so many like death by a thousand cuts nicks at amateurism. This to me, Spencer, is the kind of thing that blows it up in terms of amateurism, not college sports itself, because I completely agree with your point. Do whatever you want with amateurism versus professionalism. We've already seen that in the Olympics. Like you get paid now if you win medals. So 
do amateurs and professionals. I don't care. At the end of the day, we're still going to have young men and women representing the schools and we're all going to be wearing our colors and camping out and, you know, tailgating and all the great stuff. It'll be there. That's how I feel as well. And I think that there are still a lot of kids that want to use athletics as a way to go to college for free and get and get a degree that would be a lot more affordable than if they just paid for it themselves. And look, for those who you know want to go play sports professionally, this is not affecting them at all. It's not it's not going to be a hindrance in any way, shape or form. Them, honestly. Yeah, it's just going to I mean, essentially what's going to change is you're going to be paying players. Now, what gets complicated is are there limits on how much you can pay? I mean, because right now in NIL, right, that's that favors the haves and the have nots. And this is something that has to be figured out. And you have to get a lot of different people to agree on, on what the be- best path forward is. That's a tricky one. Yeah. And, and maybe part of because, you know, we we've talked about a lot like our collective bargaining agreements going to come to college sports. Well, if we're unionizing, that's baked into unions, right? Like we will have. And who days. represents them? That's the question I yep. have is, yep. are you going to have a 21 year old kid going up there with a 45 year old? lawyer who graduated from from harvard but like, like is, is that going to be the negotiation like, yeah because there's not like an nflpa head right do we have like an ncaaf head <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i i don't know i yeah, like, i don't know that's that's and, one of the things they have to figure out and it feels like isaac they have to do it before the next sports season like this wow. has to get resolved this summer quickly quickly very quickly and we know that the ncaa does not move quickly and so like is it even I don't know. Like, is this the kind of thing that starts to move the jurisdiction outside of the NCAA even more than we're already seeing? Um, part of this, like um, St. John's basketball coach, you know, Rick Patino, one of the best college basketball coaches of all time. With all this, he just said this week, um, it, look, if we're unionizing and we're getting CBAs and stuff, then we got to establish a salary cap too, which I think goes back to what you were just saying about limits on this. And honestly, with the wild, wild west of NIL that you and I have talked about so much, maybe maybe this is a good thing for that, that can put some structure um, and some limits on what NIL can and should be. Yeah, player empowerment has certainly maximized its movement. But if you're like, right, exactly. If your goal was to make sure the players were fully empowered to act in this way or that way, give them more in, in some ways, I'm, I'm on board with that. Others, I think it's swung too far. You look at every other professional sports league, if you're saying, well, they operate the same way. Okay, well, institutions, aka the teams or the league, are able to implement regulations about what the players can and cannot do. That all has to be sorted out as we get through this sort of stuff. This will continue to be a topic here on the show because, as we discussed, there's a long, long way to go. Isaac Shade, Locked On College Basketball. Thanks so much for stopping by, my man. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Nick Saban joined College Game Day. I love it. I love it so very, very much. Oh. Before we get to Nick Saban, we're getting to FanDuel, of course, America's number one sports book. Happy Super Bowl, everybody, to all who celebrate. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch after a round of golf, of course, grabbing your favorite football snacks and placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. If you like the 49ers to win like I do, go bet a minus one and a half, two and a half as the line fluctuates over at FanDuel. New customers, join today. You'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 
Nick Saban to college game day, like peanut butter and jelly. It's just going to work. So the former Alabama coach shocked everybody when he retired in January and Kalen DeBoer has replaced him in, in Tuscaloosa and things are actually going decently well for him down there so far, but certainly he has a tough road ahead. And, you know, when I think about the prospect of waking up on Saturday mornings in the fall, putting on college game day, as I have every Saturday I've been available to since I was six years old, Nick Saban being there just feels right because it is right. And this is a great move for ESPN and a big move for ESPN. Because do you think that Big Noon Kickoff, which has been rising in popularity and trying to challenge College Game Day, which has certainly had some missteps over the last couple of years, and I think Big Noon has done a pretty good job of capitalizing on that in many instances. Do you think Big Noon gave him a call? Do you think they did? Yeah, I, I imagine they did. Now, ESPN is the television partner most closely tied to the SEC in the new media rights world, and Fox is more with the Big Ten. You look around the Big Ten and you've got, uh, well, let's see, Reggie Bush, you've got, um, oh gosh, Brady Quinn is on there, but you've also got Mark Ingram who went to Alabama, so I, I imagine that Fox reached out and was wanting Nick Saban to be interested, but this is a great move for a couple of reasons. Number one, Nick Saban knows college football better than anybody else. He's the best to ever do it. And when you have guys around the sport like that, you want to keep them around the sport. They're big names. They know what they're talking about. They've got experience. They've got stories. The insight's going to be great. I hope they use him as one of their principal analysts. I don't know exactly in what capacity they are planning to, to employ him in 2024 and beyond, but I hope it's a pretty big one. I mean, the crew of Reese Davis, and they've got Pat McAfee in there now. I miss David Pollock, but I understand why people like Pat McAfee. He's not my cup of tea, but that's okay. Desmond Howard is great. Herb Street is the man. If Saban is out there as the old wily veteran, as the coach who's got the insight, and a guy who has coached in the OG era of college football, the modern era of college football, and the most recent era, as in the current one of college football with NIL and the portal— I am always curious to hear what he says. He's a great interview. I think he's authentic. I think he is honest. I think he is concise. He plays very well on a camera. And I think this is a really good move for ESPN. And I hope he's just one of the core guys. I hope that when they are talking about the stories of the day, they make it a five-man crew. And it's Reese, and it's Desmond to his right, and Saban in the middle, and McAfee to his left, and Herb Street on the end, as always. And that Lee Corso is able to have a reduced role that is really just limited to doing the headgear. And I think, I hope that this is part of the thinking of first bringing in McAfee, who, who has taken a lot of Corso's uh, airtime there, and now bringing in Nick Saban as well. I hope that those guys are, are starting to phase out Lee Corso, someone who is an icon of my childhood. I am not standing here, well, I'm sitting actually recording the show. I'm not sitting here taking a shot at Lee Corso, okay? I love Lee Corso. I want the headgear to continue. To, it's not college game day. College football doesn't start until Lee Corso has done the headgear. But he's had some medical issues. He's getting up there in age. It's difficult to watch him talk. Let's just call a spade a spade. It is hard to watch him talk because it's hard for him to talk and he can't do it the way that he used to. He should be there maybe for Saturday selections, but frankly, if I had my way producing that show, I would say that Coach Corso comes in for the headgear and that's it.
That's and, and that's it. And I hope that this move to bring in Nick Saban, who is certainly capable of being more loquacious than uh, than the coaches at this point in time. I think that that'd be a really good move for this program. But I can't underscore the importance of Nick Saban choosing ESPN, because like I said, Fox 100 percent wanted to get him there. But you get the greatest coach in the history of the sport and, and you get him to go onto your flagship program over a budding rival that has been growing and growing in popularity, that's a big win for ESPN. I think ESPN's made some mistakes with their talent and moving them around over the last several years, but they've had some hits as well. For example, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Monday Night Football, cha-ching, home run, rock star, great tandem. That is a fantastic move. I think this is on that level. I think finding a way to get Nick Saban on the air is great. And here's the other thing. You should love this as a college football fan because he has recruited in the NIL and portal era, and he's run the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. His insight and knowledge, not just about the X's and O's of football. I mean, I could sit and watch coaches go up to a whiteboard or talk about this scheme and that scheme. I'm just a junkie for this sort of thing, obviously, as I host a daily college football podcast. I I just could listen to guys like that do it all the time. And so the last time I saw this was before Urban Meyer went to coach the Jags. He was doing a show. Can't remember if it was on ESPN. I think it was or it was probably on Fox. But they would go to the board and he would talk about, you know, he'd have everything drawn out and he would do all this X's and O's stuff. I could not get enough of that. I think that's fantastic content. I think there are a lot of fans that love that sort of stuff. And I think Saban would be really good at that stuff. And look, I am as interested in the stories that he could have to tell and the perspective he provides for the sport as I am in his ability to go to a whiteboard and say, hey, when we see cover two, we're automatically wanting to check into this concept because this is where this corner is going to sit and you're going to exploit that weakness there. So we're going to overload the side. But then we see motion and they shift here. So then we check back into a run, whatever it is, right? Whatever is happening there. I don't know if that sounded coherent. I hope it did. But anyway, I think all that sort of stuff is great. But here's the other thing. At a time in which you have tremendous upheaval, uprooting, change, groundbreaking alterations in this sport that we all hold so dear, I want voices amplified that have the sport's best interests in mind. I think Nick Saban absolutely checks that box because he is somebody who when I've watched him talk about the modern world of college football and the issues that it's got and changes that can be made I think that he is thoughtful I think he is deliberate I think he is passionate and that's who I want and I think that he's someone who provides a great perspective and has got tremendous insight into what it's like to be in the sport and why this should change that way, or why this shouldn't change that way, or how you could tweak this, or how you could make that better. I want those voices to get amplified, because there's a power vacuum in college football right now. We were talking about this with Isaac Shade earlier. Players unionizing is the most one of the most groundbreaking changes to college football, really since they started putting the games on television. I mean, that was even met initially with pushback. College football adapted. They maximized television. It's helped to grow the sport tremendously all over the country. And so when, when I look at the discussion and the narrative and who's got a say and who's got influence, there, there's no bigger program to be on for college football than college game day. 
It, it, it is college football. It's the show that everybody wants to watch. I think Big Noon does a really good job. It's not college game day. And having Saban there and allowing people to see what he thinks about the sport, you know big picture conversations are going to continue. And heck, the landscape he's going to comment on is going to be radically different in the fall because there will be rule changes that will take place between now and the start of the upcoming college football season. So I'm really excited about this. I, as you can tell, I, I am over the moon that Saban is there. I think he is someone who serves as a great ambassador for the sport in many ways. That's going to be very controversial with some people, but he is a tremendous coach. I think he loves the sport. I think he has thoughts. He does think about these sorts of things. And I want voices like that amplified rather than minimized in the college football media space. Curious what all of you think, though. Drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments or hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at S. McLaughlin CFB or at LockedOn underscore CFB if you have any ideas along those lines. Do you have an idea how important recruiting is? Well, most most coaches do, including Ryan Day at Ohio State, who plucks someone right out of Kalen DeBoer's backyard. Before we get to that, let's get to game time. Why? Because game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Right now, all users get $100 off when you buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All in prices show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal before you check out and you can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time right now. All game time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code Vegas 100. Terms apply. Just download the game time app. Use code Vegas 100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code locked on for $20 off your purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Joining me now here on Locked On College Football, Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network. Want to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being our official recruiting sponsor as well. Naeem Offord goes to Ohio State. This is a big-time recruitment in the 2025 cycle for the Buckeyes. Brian, what can you tell us about one of the top corners? Some sites have the top corner in the 2025 class. Out of Parker High School in Birmingham, this is probably the best player in the state of Alabama. He is arguably, as you said, the top corner, and it's because he's 6'1", 180 pounds, really long. He can play free safety. He can play nickel. He can play boundary. It does not matter. Man coverage, off man, doesn't matter. Everything that you would want in a guy. I'd take him right now. He would compete for playing time at some SEC schools. I'm not saying he'd walk into Georgia and start or something like that. But he had an offer pretty much from every school in the country. And coming from Birmingham and committing to Ohio State, that is about as unusual as as it gets like it, I wrote an article about it on Arbor Daily and it, it's still doing like people are just in shock. It doesn't happen down here. The kids stay here in this state. Clemson will get a kid occasionally, maybe Georgia, something like that, maybe LSU, but nobody goes up north. That's an elite player in the state of Alabama. Yeah, we're going to talk about what it means for the Crimson Tide a little bit later. But what does it say about Ohio State and what Ryan Day has done? There have been a lot of reports about you know, him really working hard on the NIL front and making sure their coffers are well stocked up there in Columbus. And they've got a great roster for 2024. And the early efforts here, getting a guy like Offord out of the state of Alabama over the Crimson Tide and the Tigers, 
that's a really notable development on the recruiting front. So what, what do you make of kind of what this means for Ohio State? They figured it out because not only do they have him, they've got a kid from Houston that's arguably the best corner. It depends on which site you're looking at, Sanchez. So they got the top two corners. I don't know in my lifetime I've seen one school get the top two guys. That's insane. So they're going wherever they have to. Their, their cell is great. Obviously, NIL has got to be a part of it in some capacity. But Ryan Day's invested. Like For those who thought that he was out the door, I think that's pretty safe to say that it's not. You're not going to recruit hard if you're planning to leave. You're not. So I think it's an incredible achievement. I honestly don't remember a recruitment like this from the state of Alabama in the last decade. Maybe since before Saban. Nobody goes in there and gets the guy. Not even getting a top three player in the state is hard. Kudos to Ohio State staff, because that's a staff effort. I mean, and they're getting him in freaking February. You know what I mean? Like, this is, oh, last signing day, you know, at the end. They're getting him almost a year in advance for when he's going to sign his letter of intent with the Buckeyes. That's incredible. Yeah, and you make a good point about it being a 2025 signing, important one. This, this was not a national signing day late addition or flip from Ohio State. This is them putting in the early groundwork towards 2025. And I think, you know, part, partially at the very least, Ohio State certainly has always had a commitment to to recruiting and building a high caliber roster. And we've seen that lately as well. But with Oregon in the mix, there, there's another recruiting power player there in the Big Ten, and Oregon just landed a top three class in the 2024 cycle, number one in the Big Ten. Do you think this is kind of a, a statement recruitment for Ohio State to say, hey, we're not going to just be out-recruited every single year. If you're going to get a class that's rated higher than ours, you're going to have to work for it. I think it absolutely is. They know Oregon and USC and UCLA and Washington, they're going to bring a lot to the table. But Oregon's the best recruiting machine out of those four programs, and they – I mean, Dan really likes to recruit. And landing staff in general does a really good job nationally. It's arguably the weirdest school to kind of cover. And, I mean, obviously you know all about that with Locked On Ducks, but they're getting it done every year. If you don't keep up with them, eventually you're going to get run by. Oregon's recruiting classes are good, especially up front with their defensive linemen. I think this is kind of a, a message from Ohio State. They really do. They Their fans have been bitching about the D-line recruiting in particular. They missed on a couple of key guys the last couple of years. Now they're getting a few more corners. Uh, D-line's next on their board. That's the next question for them. Can they get some of those guys to kind of fill in the gaps? But everything else for them looks really, really good. Naeem Offord comes out of the state of Alabama. This is someone who, under Nick Saban, most likely does not leave the state to play college football, or at least as his first commitment, certainly, uh, would not be someone who goes outside the state. Is, the, is it as simple as that, that Nick Saban isn't there, Kalen DeBoer and company are, and that's why Offord chose the Buckeyes over the Crimson Tide, or, or why anyone even had a chance over Alabama here? I, I don't know. Like Auburn was trending with him the latest to be honest, but maybe that's because Saban had left. I don't know. Like there was a lot of talk about him just being a great player, but nobody thought his recruitment was coming to a close like in early January, right before Nick left. There just wasn't discussion about that. Then all of a sudden Saban leaves. There's talk about Auburn's trending for this kid. Some people thought he might commit. And then like a week later, I, I was told like, he's going to go Ohio state. I'm like, what? I, I didn't even know they were in the mix for that kind of commitment. Everybody had offered it. I mean, everybody. So it went from he's probably just going to stay in state. We'll, we'll figure it out somewhere down the line. So he's going out of state and soon. Very unusual. 
Saban being the guy that kind of kicked it off by accident? Quite possible. So, yeah, they don't lose many Birmingham kids. It's about 45 minutes from Tuscaloosa. <laughs> so when he wants a key guy, and Nick is still the DB coach when he was there, he was in the meetings. They didn't lose a lot of those guys. Kool-Aid McKinstry, Birmingham kid. Now he's getting ready to go first round in the draft. Surprising? No. no it's another Saban disciple. And and by the way, just thinking about DBs that had ties in some capacity to Alabama that are now at Ohio State, we just saw Caleb Downs go over there. Uh, I mean, you look at, you know, he's going to be a true sophomore this year. You're going to have Naeem Offord. You're going to have Caleb Downs playing in the same secondary. You said they had another great corner in their recruiting class as well for 2025. So things certainly looking up for Jim Knowles to continue the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, having some really talented players and, and good units up there. Let's pivot to Alabama because one of the fascinating elements of Nick Saban departing and Kalen DeBoer coming in is that while DeBoer was at Washington, he did not recruit at a high level. And you don't always see that just because a coach doesn't stay at a place for a long time. I mean, you look at the way Lincoln Riley recruited Oklahoma. He was there for several seasons, but was not, you know, a five to 10 year guy. He recruited at a very high level. Mario Cristobal recruited very well at Oregon before he ended up bolting to Miami. It's never been DeBoer's forte. Now, in 2024, Alabama pulls in the number two high school composite class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. As for their efforts in 2025, how much of a blow is this to their class? And what do you expect to see from them in the first full cycle with DeBoer and his staff at the helm? It's, it's a blow because he's not one of the people in this state. I live in Alabama now. It's about locals here. It, it, it's going to take a minute. And I know Alabama fans want to hear that it's about what's on the shirt. It's not. It's the person wearing the shirt. The high school coaches will eventually adapt. I've heard good things about DeBoer in general. But for the immediate class 25 and maybe 26, it's going to be an adjustment period. These guys do not know the coaches in Alabama and Georgia. Those are the two main states they recruit. They certainly don't know what's going on in Florida that much. It wasn't like the guys from Seattle were getting flights over to Miami. So all their main areas, they don't know. They've only got a couple commitments right now for the class of 25. Not that that's terrible. Alabama wasn't always a fast-starting team under Saban either, but they got the guys at the end that matter, the four- and five-star guys in the top 100. I think they're going to struggle some. And to that point, Auburn's kicking their butt right now in the state. They've got coaches with a lot of ties to the state of Alabama, with a lot of ties to Georgia, with a lot of ties to Mississippi. It just took Wayne Kiffin's uh, – main guy who's recruited in Mississippi for like 15 years. He's getting kids to look at Auburn from that state too. All the ties are in Georgia and Auburn. These, those three schools kill each other in recruiting Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. Alabama doesn't have those ties. If they don't have a top 10 class this year, I would say there's better than 50% chance of that. You or I would have never even considered that being an option under Saban. I mean, zero. There's just no chance of that. So, are Alabama fans going to like it? No, but there's not much you can do about it. They're going to end up with a few more West Coast kids. you got to take recruit where you know guys, no coaches. And it's probably going to be a year or two before this adjustment takes place. How patient will Alabama fans be with that? What do you think, Spence? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold comment at this time on, <laughs> on that particular question. We'll see how, how things shake out. I think if you're a Bama fan listening to or watching this and you're looking for a piece of encouragement on the recruiting front, Ryan Williams once upon a time decided, I don't want to play for Alabama, then decided again, oh, no, I do want to play for Alabama because I like what this DeBoer guy brings to the table. 
I think the defensive players are, are going to be the challenges. You know, they brought in a couple of head coaches for their staff, the one from Buffalo and a guy from South Alabama as well. Offensively, I think they will with DeBoer's prowess as a coach. And if Ryan Grubb remains as the offensive coordinator, they've got a track record now of their short time in college. They put guys in the NFL, they throw the football, they air it out. That is a well-established brand for them. And so guys like Ryan Williams, not as surprising, but certainly something that should be encouraging if you're a fan of the Crimson Tide. But if you're talking about the defensive players, guys like Naeem Offord, that could be a little bit tougher in what you were talking about with uh, Auburn in the trenches and everything. It's a fascinating thing to watch play out. But, you know, DeBoer didn't necessarily have the most 24-7 talent composite when, when he was at Washington. And he won a lot of football games there. So we'll leave it there for today. Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider, brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As always, Brian, thanks for stopping by. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.